Um, we have African Klobe here to preach the word tonight, and we are so, so excited. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He, we have a couple of his books actually on sale in the bookshop. One of them is this called A Passion for Position, but he um, has been the head pastor of Good News Community Church in PE since 2002, and is really passionate about Christians being equipped to bring the kingdom into every area of life. And so he regularly preaches and teaches on issues like racism and culture and African heritage and how this meets with the gospel. And he has written um, this book, A Passion for Position. He's also written Christianity and the Veneration of the Dead, as well as Freed but Freed by but imprisoned by culture. And these books are available at our bookshop. He's chairperson of Gateway News, an online Christian news portal, and his influence has really changed so many lives. I first heard him speaking at Stellenbosch, and I'll never forget it, his impact of psychology and culture and the gospel. So please give him a huge round of applause as he comes to minister. Not yet. Now there you go. Good, good evening. You guys are desperate. You have a beach party. But you have no beach. How do you figure that one out? I'm from PE. I have a beach like the whole time. And that's so sad. I'll tell people in PE, I'm actually going to tell them. I have to say this when I go to PE that... People in Johannesburg, they have a beach party without a beach. I mean, I can't, I can't figure that one out. You guys are you're desperate. It's, the situation is, you need prayer. Your situation is so bad. <laughs> you are the same city that does crazy things like buy prayers and buy water. You, in Pretoria. Even here, man, you've got crazy things. You, you, you pay, I know the cost of living here is expensive, right? You make it worse by praying for prayer as well. I mean, it's like you couldn't pay enough. You pay for toll gates, you pay for parking, you pay for prayer also. I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want to move here, I promise you. Anyway, I'm so privileged to be here. I was here in the morning. We had a wonderful service. And so I'm told today that um, a lot of students are here and, and postgraduate students. So... I'm a bit overwhelmed by the idea of so much education in the room, but I'll try my best to sound intelligent. <laughs> Please turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, whether you call it Exodus or Exodus or Exodus or whatever. It's just somewhere around the New Testament um, and around the Revelations towards the end of the Bible. <laughs> Now, some of you may spend the whole service looking for the book. It's like, wait, the, the time you find it, I just finished preaching. So it's the second book of the Bible, I promise you. It's there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, verse 8. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good land and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. You would know that these words were spoken to Moses. Who is Moses? So Moses is this guy who was born at the time that there's a decree in Egypt that all the sons of Egypt must be killed by the midwives. And so the daughter of Pharaoh 
looks at Moses and feels pity for him, takes him out and raises him up in the house of Pharaoh. So he's raised in privileged. So Moses is raised in privileged. He has one of the best educations at that time in Egypt. A very much um, progressive society for that time in terms of civilization and education. So Moses has the best you can get. He raised, he's raised in a royal house. He has, he's surrounded by privilege and aristocracy and royalty. And he has the best of all that you can imagine in his house being raised in the house of Pharaoh. By the age of 40, something happens in the life of Moses. He begins to get into a fight he did not stand. He begins to get himself involved in something that he would say has nothing to do with him. It's seemingly, but it shifts his whole destiny. He begins to see he's walking around, and I probably imagine he has um, people attending, and, but in this stage, he's alone. He's, he views and sees a fight between an Egyptian and an Israelite, and he gets involved in this, and he kills an Egyptian, and then he has to run away. So now he's in the wilderness of Midian, taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro, and while he's there, a fugitive from Egypt, and he's there, and his life moves from royalty into a shepherd. So in the sense, you would say Moses has gone, his life has just taken a nosedive in terms of status, in terms of privilege, in terms of anything you can ever imagine. His life just went down, all the way down from the royal house into one who's tending sheep, and he's just there tending sheep until he's another encounter with the burning bush. And this bush is burning, it's not being consumed, and the voice speaks from this bush, and it's the whole God of heaven having an encounter and a meeting with one person at this instance. And it's an amazing encounter because, number one, something had to be done on God's behalf. But the most important thing is that God will then decide there is a place, there is a time, there is a person, there is a message. So here's a guy who's minding the sheep. Here's a God who can see him. So he knows the place that he's going to meet him. He knows the time. He knows the person, what time he must come out of the sheep, what message he must give him, and something is about to shift in the life of Moses forever. And he says to him, listen, Moses, I've scanned the world. I have looked all over. I have located the position of my people. I don't like their state and condition. And I'm going to give you a position to shift their position. I am now going to appoint you into a position and you only exist in that position because I'm going to shift the position of my people. Here you go, Moses. I've heard their cry. I've seen their sorrow. I've seen their pain. I know their pain. I know their situation. And I have come down to deliver them. I didn't see God coming down from that. But seemingly, God came down in the life of Moses. Seemingly, Moses was an embodiment of divine leadership. Seemingly, Moses was, God was volunteering to deliver the nation of Israel through Moses. So seemingly, God was saying, I want to do this. But seeing that I am God, I am restricted because of protocol. I can't leave heaven. Therefore, everything I must do on earth... I must find mortal feet to be on the ground. I must find a mouth to be on the ground to speak for me and to go for me because I cannot leave my throne. That's a protocol. 
So Moses has to come out and do the work of God. And God says, I know the situation of my people. It's bad. They're under taskmasters. And you must go. And Moses, like all of us, begins to have excuses as to why he's not qualified, why he can't do the job. And we like telling God the things that he already knows. It's like he doesn't know that. Like, I cannot speak and God, and God, there's this conversation between God and Moses, this banter, this to and fro. Moses informing God, like, God, I don't think you are aware of the situation, so I'm going to educate you. I'm going to tell you, look, I don't, I'm not a very good speaker. I don't think you, you're aware of this. And, and God says, wow, who made the mouth? Like, like, I need you to tell me what I want to do through you. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He says, to, so he says to him, listen, Aaron is coming. He'll be your spokesperson. He'll be your mouth to you. You shall be to him God. And Aaron comes. Moses has to go. And listen, Moses has to confront. Now, it's one thing for you, for God to tell you, you're going to do great things for him somewhere out there. It's another thing for God to, go to, to tell you to go back to where you come from and confront a fire you ran away from. That's another story. I don't mind going, God telling me to go to another city, to another town where nobody knows me, where my story is not known, where my past is not known, where all my mess is not known. You know, they said that a prophet is not without honor in his own town. I don't mind being a prophet somewhere else, but don't let me go to be a prophet in my own town. I'm at my peers. They would say like, ah, you, you are what? A prophet. I mean, you, I mean, like, you are like, you are a, you, a prophet. Hey, hey, I've seen things before. You, they won't believe it. You come and say, let my people go. Like, whoa, bro. <laughs> my people, who are you? Which people? Where did you meet them? Say, hey, come on. You know, they say that people who know you the most are the ones who undermine you the most. They can't believe it. They're like, what? You, you, you're going to do great things? You're going to go to the nations? You're gonna you are going to be a history maker? A world changer? You! And they keep saying that you as if they don't know what you're talking to. It's like, it's like you, like, yes, like me. God is going to use me. So Moses has to go back to Pharaoh. Now imagine, you have to go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets a message that there's a guy here who wants to see you. Who's that? Moses. <laughs> that fugitive. Okay, let him come in. And he comes in, talks to Pharaoh, and he says, I've met God. <laughs> there you are going back to a place you failed in, and they chase you out. And the first thing you say is that I've met God. And he's telling me to tell you, let my people go. Everybody's sitting there thinking, yeah, I know we've had things. These Christians, we know that they're not very sober and normal. And, but now, no, they're taking it to the next level. This thing of theirs, born again people, we know that there's something not quite there with them. But now they've, they've gone to the next level. He's met God. And God told him to let my people go. Like, Really? You must be careful of these churches. These born-again churches, you must be very careful of them. 
They are telling you to go and go on missions. But you went to school where now you got a master's. You must, you must be careful of the churches. That's what they told me when I came to ministry. This, this lady who knew my mother, my mother passed away. So this lady is just very, very passionate, very compassionate. And she says to me, Danam, Africa. It's what you mean well. So I'm going to eat the Holy Spirit. Like, like, like what's going to happen to you? Like, like she genuinely felt sorry. Like, my child, like, you're going to eat the Holy Spirit. Like, how are you going to be sustained? You eat the Holy Spirit. Like, she really felt genuinely. Like, sure. I'm like, my child, be careful of these things. <laughs> so serving God can be traumatic, eh? For people around you, yourself included. So Moses is hearing God and, and God, God, God just decided. God, listen, God just decides. And I've not met anybody who has managed to change God when he decides something. So God has called you, right? And you run away, right? And you think he's changed his mind because you seem to succeed elsewhere. No, he leaves you. One thing that God doesn't do because he's given us free will, he doesn't force himself on you. So there you are, people think of you as successful. Success is not what you accumulate. Success is you fulfilling what you were created for. That's success. That's success. So the guy who may accumulate a lot of stuff may look in our eyes as successful. But heaven may say, failure. Missed it completely. By far. So God has given each person a purpose. A child who's born comes out of the womb with a clenched fist because he comes out with something. Everyone comes out of the dream. It takes us to just extinguish that dream. The name says, the son Balat, the Tobia. The one that says, really? You want to build a wall? You will see. People around you. You cannot do anything great for God if you have not learned the ability to deal with the naysayers, the critics, the people who's, who exist for no other reason but to put you down. People will give you permission to be everything else except be yourself. Just don't be you. When you are you, what do they say? Hey, who does he think he is? Who does he think he thinks he's better? Because you dare to be an independent person, an individual. They say, who do you think you are? I just thought it's, for, it's fine for me to be me. Is that okay with you? And so Moses has to go there and, and confront Pharaoh. So one of the things that you know about Moses is that he, he has encounters with God. I don't know about you, but if, if I had an encounter with God in a burning bush, I would have a burning bush ministry. I mean, I'll be like, I'll be like, whoa. I'll be like, okay, pastors, preachers, okay. I know you guys preach very well and you know the Bible and you've done theology and all of that. But how many of you have ever had a burning bush experience? None of you? Yeah. 
So every year around my to got a conference in my church to commemorate my meeting with God. It's called a burning bush conference because it's for people like me who've experienced God. Some of us, we build monuments around God's movements around us. We want to fossilize the whole thing. Stay there and never move out. Be like the wife of Lot. Be crystallized into a salt because you're always looking back. It's one of the things, by the way, when you're African that you need to overcome is that your culture is backward looking. Everyone's an African here. <laughs> I got you. I got all of you. <laughs> like, ah. But you know what I mean? I'm talking to black people, whatever you call it, that demographic label. Your country is backward looking. The golden age is in the past. Everyone talks about the past because African religion, by African culture and belief and religion by its nature has no concept of personal destiny. Everyone is seen as an extension of his ancestral hierarchy. So you got to break from that and be an individual. Not individualistic. There's a difference. But be an individual. So some of, our, some of our names have no prophetic meaning. They are tied up to somebody who died 200 years ago. It's like we're incarnation, we're reincarnation of somebody. Because people didn't hear God, they just thumb suck things. Some of you had names that were some researcher Google somewhere. Or wrote, they took a book of names and they just, this sounds good, call him this. Sorry. <laughs> It's out there. I've said it. I just I can't take it back. So I'm saying this not really to, to, to create con- whatever con- conflict, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm saying this to tell you that there's going to be always, there's always going to be a conflict between your past and your future. There's always going to be conflict between human beings and what they think of you and what God thinks of you. Culture is a social construct. It's a man-made construct. Culture is nothing else but you and I being governed by dead people. Let that sink. <laughs> yes, that's what culture is. Is you being ruled by dead people. Culture is started by few, but followed by many. It is behavior, not biologic. It's generational, not genetic. It's nature, not nature. You don't have culture in your DNA. Here. Your body doesn't require culture for it to be what it's supposed to be. All it requires not DNA, but RDA. Culture is not a DNA. It's R- so your body requires a recommended daily allowance, same type of nutrients for the white person, for the black person. There's no change. There's no difference. Because biologically, we are the same. So whatever you grew up with, if it doesn't work for your body, there will be consequences. Amen. You're quiet here yeah, now. It's like... <laughs> What's this man doing to us now? So Moses had to confront his past, deal with the fear of his past. We care. You have to understand there's something in our past we have to confront. My grandfather was a famed witch doctor in my town, a famed medium. I had a Facebook friendship request from somebody and I couldn't accept because Facebook has a limit and I've reached that limit. So I sent an inbox. Oh. 
Sorry, I don't know. I didn't come out. It didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. It came out a bit funny. You guys are you guys are hearing your own things. I'm not saying what you were. You guys must be you must be saved. Eh? Be in church. So I sent this lady a message saying I inboxed. I thought it was the right thing to do. And I instead of ignoring a person, she sends me a response in inbox with a pamphlet advertising her services as a witch doctor, Sangram. You want to win lotto? You want to have a lover? <laughs> you want to win a court case? And all kinds of things. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't think she does this to every person. She must be doing it to only a black person. So this is typical racial profiling. She decided that somebody who looks like me is a potential clientele of her services. Why am I not buying? Why am I not procuring a service? It's because I'm a child of God. So when I tell people about racism, is this. I didn't just become, I didn't just stop divination because I became a Christian. That created the potential which I needed to actualize with certain steps. So divination in my life did not self-correct. I had to confront it. I had to disown it. So racism doesn't self-correct. You must deal with it intentionally. It doesn't just fall away. Going to church doesn't make you stop being racist. It doesn't. It just means you're a racist Christian. That's what it means. Really. So you have to confront it and disown it and understand it. Like I did understand that divination and ancestral veneration is not of God. It didn't just happen. I had to understand, disown, and, and renounce it. Why am I talking about that? It's got nothing to do with purpose. So, <laughs> sorry, I apologize to all pastors and preachers and people of homiletics and hermeneutics and other introduction, body and conclusion. I'm one of those people who don't follow any structure. I'm the most disorganized preacher. I write notes and I don't even read them, <laughs> like I've done today. <laughs> I minister from my heart. And I minister what I think is relevant for that moment. And I think this is relevant for you right now here. So I've shifted from my morning service, complete message, what I said this morning. So if you want to know what I said this morning, listen to the morning service. Because it's totally different. <laughs> yeah, it's totally different. But here's the thing. What I grew up with, being an orphan, surrounded by traditional beliefs, it's not, please understand this, it's not a white versus black. There are such things, by the way. I'm not saying they don't exist. There is cultural fascism in South Africa. In fact, you're one of the few churches that are getting it well in terms of cultural inclusivity. There are churches that I know I travel to. I travel around the country. They are multiracial but not multicultural. There's a huge difference between multiracialism and multiculturalism. It's not the same thing. Multiracialism is like people sitting in the same bus together but go in different directions, have no shared life, they just be in the same bus. That's multiracialism. Multiculturalism is different. There's a shared life. And there's a full cultural expression. There's no cultural fascism. 60% white, black church, 100% white leadership. Those are churches I normally preach in. 80% black, 100% white leadership. 
So black people are just there to make up the numbers, to fill up chairs and to warm their mouth. So there are those things, they exist, I understand that. But don't be, don't be confused, believers. Your life doesn't consist only of political conflict. Your life consists of divine purpose. The conflicts will come, the conflicts will go. What God has called you to do will remain. Don't make what is fleeting permanent and make what is permanent fleeting. Don't absolutize the relative and relativize what is absolute. Don't major on minors and minor on majors. Some people are prepared to die for the land, to kill for the land, not prepared to die for the Lord. So for me, let me tell you about me. I don't have, any, I don't have land. I want land. I, I really do. So uh, <laughs> I want it. I don't have it. But guess what? I want land. Please don't get me wrong. I want land. But I'm not going to hell for land. I'm not missing heaven for a piece of debt. You kill a person, you're going straight to hell. You miss heaven, you get your land. You die, you leave your land behind you. Somebody else takes it out. Is that wise? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? World you don't own, your soul you own. You gain what you don't own, you lose what you own. Be careful of that. So in South Africa right now, there's some voices that are trying to entice us into a doctrine of hatred. Christians are buying and imbibing into it in huge measure, in huge chunks. They're eating in. I refuse. Ain't nobody going to control my heart. I own my heart. I have the keys. I'm not opening up to hatred. So you listen to voices, unregenerated, unredeemed, uncouth, uncultured. Voices who speak loud, confusing language, because it sounds relevant and current and sophisticated, but it's ungodly. You listen to them, you follow them straight to where they are going, which you don't know. <laughs> and you follow them because it's a fashionable thing to do. The voices you must listen to are prophetic voices who speak not only into the social context, which will change, which while God will not change, therefore we need to know how to marry the social context with a prophetic voice and avoid a disjuncture or a disconnection between heaven and earth, we are priests to connect heaven and earth. We exist not only for the earth, we exist to connect heaven's mindset for the earth and make sure there's no discord between the two. That's what we exist for. So you cannot live for the earth. You live for heaven in the earth. In other words, your heaven mindset must be relevant for the earth. You can't just be heavenly minded and earthly useless. You must take 
heaven's wisdom and apply it into the social context, but never take the social context and, and put it above heaven's mindset. Don't subordinate faith and social conditions. Don't absolutize human rights. Don't defy science. God is greater. Amen. We're going to close. I don't know what happened, really. <laughs> I don't know what happened, really. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in the service. Everything changed. <laughs> I like that. Don't you like that? I like that. Because I know God is moving. That one I'm confident. The Spirit of God is moving here. And he's going to call you out by himself to do his work. He will do, he'll call you out. So we're going to pray tonight. Please don't think I don't understand poverty. I understand it better than a lot of people think we don't understand it. They want to educate us about it, the past, history of South Africa and the struggle. I, like, I get amazed, really. I get fascinated by the lectures I get when I grew up in the system and I grew up with tear gas. But I get amazed when people want to give you free lectures of the struggle of black people. They're like, wow, that's interesting. That's wonderful. Like, you're like, do you not understand? I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you were there in the 70s. You were there in the 80s. Well, you write some books somewhere and watch a movie somewhere on some cry freedom or something. And now you're supposed to know everything. That Mandela is a sellout and you know better than Mandela. That if you're Mandela's shoes, you'd have done better. What kind of arrogance is this? What is this arrogance that we have with people who speak from, from hindsight, speak retrospectively, and they think they know better? You have the privilege of hindsight, of hindsight, of, of your past. You don't, you don't live there. Hmm. This preacher. <laughs> Please don't send me this recording. Um, <laughs> Simon. I don't want to hear it. Don't send me. I don't want to listen to this. I don't, I don't know what I've, I muffled. I don't know what I said. Don't send it to me. Don't let me not know what I said. Hey, <laughs> don't do that. So let's pray together. Is that okay? <laughs> let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, tonight, let's stand together in fact. Let's stand together. All right. It's going to sink some of you maybe in a few days' time. Not immediately. But the presence of God is here. So put out your hands. Put your hands in front of you. The presence of God is so strong here. So strong. So strong. He confirms His word with signs following. Lord, I believe I spoke your mind here. Therefore, confirm this, that is your word, and it's your mind. Pour out your spirit this evening. Anoint these hands that are stretched out to you to bring healing to the nations of the earth. Anoint these hands to go forth and be an extension of God's kingdom wherever they go. I pray for a new mindset. Those who are peace, you say in your word, your word is very clear to us. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit. That's who we are. 
We have given the ministry of reconciliation. That's the mandate you have given to us. Nothing less and nothing more. That's what we receive from you. We receive peace for us first. And then so we can extend it to those around us. I receive peace for my pain, my suffering, my situation, my neglect, and, and all the things that I face, my trauma. I bring tranquility, the shalom of God to well over my situation because I, I can only bring peace if I'm at peace with myself. Therefore, I allow your peace to flow over my life and that your warmth will go over and overwhelm me and use me to be an extension of your peace wherever I go. I deal with every mindset that is contrary to your kingdom. Every thinking pattern that contradicts your mindset, oh God. Every arrogance that rises above the knowledge of Christ. Every thought I take captive in this meeting tonight. That we release the mind of Christ over everyone in this meeting. We release those who will be reformers. Those who will go forth with the spirit of reformation. In their generation that they will be saying, those who have turned the world upside down, they have come here also. Let them say that of us tonight, O oh God. That we are in the earth and the Spirit of God is indeed over us. I thank you for this and I bless you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Bless the Lord.